you everyone for joining us on the Level Up Expo 2014. It's me, Yes Elvis Lives, and I've got the man, the myth, the legend, Killer X Wolf here. Chris, yo, what's up world? So, we're here at uh, Cashman Center in Las Vegas, Nevada for the Level Up Expo 2014. Very exciting stuff going on here, isn't it, Gerald? There's a lot of great things to see and do. Gaming tournaments, you got anime contests, cosplay all over the place. We've got symposiums, we've got panels, we've got, oh my gosh, the, the shops, uh, the, the things you can buy, for either gaming-related, anime-related, anime oh my Comic gosh. book-related, there's so Comic much stuff book, here. Yes, there's so much of this stuff. They, everybody's playing free games as far as the video games over there. Microsoft's here, Nintendo's here. There's a lot of great things that, that people should have come down and checked out. You know what? They're going to come back, and they're going to come back even stronger next year. The organizers for Level Up Expo have told me to tell you that they'll be even stronger next year. So I don't know how they can get much stronger than this unless they start, you know, shooting fireworks off inside. It's it's getting pretty epic here. Well, you know how it is. It's just uh, bigger, better, badder, you know, that, that whole type of almost like a WrestleMania type feel. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. It's just a great time here. We have a lot of great interviews scheduled for you to listen to. We hope you enjoy it so much. And if you want any information at all, check us out, yourgamesource.com, or GameSource on Facebook, and we'll be posting all that great information to you on everybody that participated here with us at the Level Up Expo 2014. Welcome, folks. We're here at the Level Up Expo in freezing freaking Las Vegas. Las Vegas is never freezing. It it's not. cold to us because we're used to, you know, 100 degree weathers and stuff. It's not freezing. Okay, it's a not light freezing. jacket, some jeans. A light jacket? And a beanie. That's all you need. <laughs> uh, here's a war beanie. Yes. Here's a war beanie. It's the only one to ever wear. So, the man who needs no introduction. Chris. Killer X Wolf, what's up world? We have a lot of things to go over today because here at the Level Up Expo, everyone here is excited about different things. I mean, there's a bunch of cosplayers, a bunch of anime, a bunch of video games, and that's what we're here to talk about is the video game part. There's a bunch of fox, uh, fox head people. Fox heads and fox tails. I saw a couple people walking around with the fox tails that you see. Um, weirdly enough, at my work as well, Segway, lady was walking around with a fox tail in her mid-40s. I was like, a little weird. <laughs> she, she, I was like, okay, I can dig it. She was still kind of good looking and everything like that, so it kind of pulled off. Um, but then her son was walking around too, and I'm like, oh no, thank you. Uh, now that's just wrong. Yes. So um, I opted to wear. I opted out to wear my fox tail. I figured the bear head was was, was enough. You don't want to go too furry. Then you're just a little, just a little creepy for that. <laughs> So, so I, I know I know uh, Father Time wanted us to uh, touch base a little bit on the next gen, uh, whether there really exists a next gen war. So we're going to kind of touch on that first. Before we the next gen war, of course, is a next gen war. I mean, we're in a next gen generation. Uh, but is there really is there really is it a media thing or is it is it just? I mean, is there truly a console war? Well, you tell me this. Ten people died trying to get their Xbox One to PlayStation 4s around the world. Is there really a war? I would say so. Yes. I don't know if it's ten. I'm probably making that number up a little bit, but I know that some people were, you know, stabbed and shot, and there was shootings and stuff around the world. Confirmed at midnight releases for the, for the consoles and different things like that. That's why security was uptight, like, for this whole 
this whole holiday season because these consoles, people go crazy over video games. And not only that, these ones are a lot better than the last year ones. And it's not like they don't have a good excuse this time. Exactly. I mean, like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm, no, I'm not, care, I'm not condoning murder. Okay, <laughs> Chris and I, by no means, are saying murdering is acceptable. I'm not uh, saying that's an excuse. There's not an excuse above the others for murder. Uh, we should not put that disclaimer in there, okay? For, Game Source does not condone murder. Neither does Angry Nick or Killer Explode. But basically, with with these consoles right now, more people are passionate about these. And because Xbox has had previous ones, PlayStation has previous ones, they're, they're now hardcore gamers that are sticking with their brand or swapping forces. They're going from Xbox to PlayStation, PlayStation to Xbox, just because of one or two features, one or two games. But... And, and now that they're coming out, well, they came out within a week from each other. People are, are like head to head, like this is better or this is better. Versus, well, do you, do you think it's gauged a greater interest now with the Xbox One and the PlayStation Four for those in the those who have not yet joined the gaming community? It's a good thing to get into it at least with the new ones because you're starting off fresh. The 360 doesn't work with the one, three doesn't work with four for PlayStation. So whether you never bought a console before or if you're buying a, a, a you know the sequel and, and consoles. You're starting over with brand new controllers, games, everything. Everyone's going to be, you know, spending the same amount. There's no advantage of having the old ones. Um, well, well, now, now, obviously, as you know, the media, the media eats that up, and of course, you know, they, you find that Sony, Nintendo, and Microsoft uh, obviously use the quote-unquote gaming war as a, as a marketing, as a, as a marketing tool, of course. I mean, yeah. So. So really, in, in regards to to being, you know, do you find that it's it's more of a media-related thing, or, or or do you truly, like you mentioned earlier, think that you have you have truly a, a war going on? Um, I mean, it sounds more like a, a media is controlling how this is running, uh, and not just media like Fox and, and news like that, but like the advertisement from Sony and Microsoft themselves of getting them out there and. Like the availability of how Xbox is available in almost everywhere, and PlayStation isn't uh, in most stores around the country. It it seems like their advertisement towards this is what's really piquing people's interest. Um, Sony, I don't know if they're purposely purposely doing this or not. They won't even say it, but they know that that if you can't have it, you want it more. So that's why I feel they're trying to keep keep a limited amount. But then again, it could also be that they're not able to produce enough, whether it's the manufacturing from it costs a little too much or something, because $400 is a pretty cheap next-gen console, in my opinion. 500 is what I expect both of them to be around. Well, and I, think the, I think the price point definitely plays a significant role in, in why the PlayStation 4 is so popular as Exactly. It is. And a lot of people say, hey, for $100 cheaper, for getting the same specs, they think the same thing. Might as well go with PlayStation, and that's why people have jumped from Microsoft to Sony, or Sony sticks with Sony. And in in regards to what maybe would fuel the favoritism based on whether you want to go with the Xbox or the PlayStation Four, do you find that more of the entertainment aspect of it, which which system capabilities in regards to 1080p, uh, you know, supporting 30 frames per second, yeah, things like that, do you think? Do you think capability-wise is what's more compelling people, gamers, to buy these consoles now, or do you think it's still game-based? I mean, the, the the specs of the console really seem to be what promotes it, because the maximum specs that everyone's expecting is what they had said, how stuff is going to run at 1080 and then 4K, how these gaming consoles should be a lot better than what they are right now. Of course, they're not going to reach that because they want these consoles to patch and update for the next 10 years or so. Um, 
but I think it's mainly the console's specs that get everyone, because then they say the games are going to run at 30 frames per second, which has never been done before, 1080p, 4K uh, pixel. All those are what really makes the console unique from the 360 and PS3, and I think that's what's selling them off as new. However, since they both do the same thing, I don't know why they're having a war in that. That's where the games come into effect, where Titanfall's on Xbox, Uncharted on PlayStation. That's where you're going to find out who wants what. Now, I mean, game-wise, as far as what the lineup looks like, do you think that also is a, is a very large component as to what may make gamers lean towards or favor one console or the other? Or, again, is, does it go back to the PlayStation 4 is available now, supports 4K, does 30 frames per second, promises, 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 integrates the PlayStation mobile uh, phone apps, with the, with the PlayStation seamlessly, integrates the PlayStation Vita's capabilities seamlessly with the PlayStation 4. Is it those? Or is it those that are the major contribution like we just discussed? Or do you find that, you know, that, that games are no longer the, the, the component like the, uh, you know, like, uh, like you said, Titanfall. Titanfall might... Yeah, I see what you mean. It's perpetuate people more to go. Well, the games look better on the on the Xbox One, so you know. But then again, Watch Dogs is coming out on the PlayStation Four, so. Well, I mean, some of the games like Titanfall because it's developed and, and it was strictly made for Microsoft. They developed it on Xbox One. They said we're not going to you know redo the coding for PS4, uh, and that's where I think it's going to look optimal on Xbox. It, it can never look that good on PlayStation, but that's why they keep it to Xbox only. Now, games like Watch Dogs, or, or even Call of Duty, Battlefield, anything that, that's going to be multi-console, because when they develop it, you know, Activision, EA, they, they try to do an un, they try to do an unbiased, you know, development, make it for both of them where it's equally on both of them. They whoever has what, they can get them equally. But there are some games that, yeah, Sony owns, and they want to push the best graphic possibility to make make people think Sony does this for every game. Uncharted will be what. Viva Pinata will look like Uncharted on a PlayStation 4. So, well, but you know what? I found that that's very misleading because a lot of the games you look at turn them right over right before you buy them, and you're yeah. like, "Well, this only supports 720p," but they said that it was going to support 1080p. But that was on the PS3. You haven't seen every that's, single PS4 and Xbox One game on the back says 1080p, that, that, and that's that's true. I gotta I gotta give it to you. And that's because of the installation, and you realize some of the games take up you know 20 gigs of, of install space because they're actually running out of full 1080 now. They, they've had to bump it up into into the hard drive since the discs weren't able to hold that much data with the multiplayer, single player, everything else they could have added. And some games like you would expect, um, uh, like Destiny or Elder Scrolls Online, that they're going to be online in 1080p. They can, there's no way that they're going to have that much data into a disc or even on the servers that they have to actually install something into your hard drive to read 1080 and render your characters in your environment in 1080 as it's playing. I mean, I think there's, you know, there's other really cool factors like um, being able to play a game while it's continuing to download. I mean, yeah. I, th- I think that's a cool feature. And PlayStation, I think, has that a little bit down more. Like, you can start it up as soon as it's installing and play it from the disc instead. Yeah. Xbox, you have to wait until it's like 50 or 60% installed. Not a big deal, though, because it only takes a couple minutes if it's, you know, at the right time, not millions of people downloading at one time. I, I just, I, I still, I think what really captures me about 
and, and maybe you could fill me in because I'm not really familiar so much with smart, smart glasses capabilities. Yeah. I like how with the PlayStation Mobile app, for instance, which I believe you can get on iOS, Android, and Windows now. Uh, I don't know if it's on Windows. It's, it might be just because to keep it equal, but uh, I know iOS definitely and iOS and Android for sure. Because like, I've got them actually right here. I'll show you. I was, sorry, podcast listening. Um, so yeah, I've got like the PlayStation app right here, which syncs up with your PlayStation account, so your PlayStation Now and everything else that they're going to have. Um, you can check out your achievements, your friends, your messages, everything. Uh, but Xbox has the same same difference with a uh, smart glass. So. So, but you know, and, and I think I think the ability to be able to to be at work and go, uh, you know, oh hey, you know, um, you know, it's awesome that. There's this game coming out, and you know, by the time I get home, I want to download it, ready to go. But I mean, I think it's awesome that we've gotten to a point where you can take out your mobile phone and go, bop, 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 bam, start the initiate download. When by the time you get home, get dinner made, you're already to sit down on the couch and play the game. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is, uh, I, I mean, that I, I think that's a really, really good feature that they've integrated into these newer connection systems. That, that it, I mean, it's great and everything, but seeing the cold hard reality of it. I don't see a huge market of people doing that. Now, granted, like some people will have, you know, an Xbox One, Windows 8 computer, a Surface tablet, and a Windows phone. Uh, when they have all that, even by the way, according to him himself, <laughs> <laughs> even if they have all that to use the Xbox One, I don't use the other three devices so much. I'll use the smart glass if it integrates with the game, but I don't go from while I'm at work or while I'm like here at Level Up Expo. I don't go and hit. Oh, I, you know what? Tomb Raider Definitive Edition is now on Xbox One. Buy, download, and then I go back home and play. I'll just wait until I get home and download on my Xbox just because I don't want to do it on my service. I know what you mean. I mean, like, it's it's practical in terms of, you know, hey, if you're bored and you're like, eh, let me go and see what's doing. I mean, I understand, you know, and this doesn't go for everybody, but some people might, you know, you know most of the time you're not going to be checking your mobile phone constantly. Oh, wait, a hot new game came yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? so. I mean, I get, I get you on that, but... But I guess, you know, I, I guess in closure to this, do, is it more of a media promoter thing, or do you genuinely have people that you talk to, whether that be at work, you know, yeah. that just go up, and, and you could just, you could just, by talking to them, there is just a console war going on, whether that be in their mind, in their family, in their community, at school, at college... Do you, do you see that, or is like? It, do you mean like a, an inner struggle where someone exactly. can conflict themselves against? Should I get Xbox One or PS4? Or haters, for that matter, that are like oh, the ones that are know. like, I'm an Xbox One fan. Exactly. I will never get a PlayStation Four, and they're just completely against it. Yeah. I see that all the time. I mean, uh, people come in like, do you have a PlayStation Four or something in stock? And I'm like, no, we've got Xbox One though. And they're like, oh no, no, I'm, n- I'm not going to get that. And I mean, sometimes I just I laugh and I go, okay, it's their opinion, whatever. And sometimes I actually want to get their their input on it. I say, well, what what are you trying to get the PS4 for? And they're like, oh, I want this game, this game, I want to do this or that. And sometimes I, I can almost see them playing that exact same thing on Xbox One. They want a Skype call. They want to do Call of Duty and Battlefield. And they want to, you know, surf the web and go on Netflix. And then I'm like, no matter which console you get, you can do both of those. So, so, so I mean, realistically, though, I mean, interrupt. let me just yeah. ask this. The senses of people that you have coming in as yeah. customers, yep. as the consumers, um, do you find that that the greater population desires the PlayStation 4 over the Xbox One? From, from what I see right now, it seems like out of every 10, 6 to 7 are for PlayStation, yeah. So now, just out of curiosity, why? why? Why do they prefer PlayStation 4? I mean, do they really indicate that? Or is it just, hey, PlayStation 4 is cheaper... 
and it seems like it's got good games on it. I mean, some people, it's, it's the ignorance of that. Like, all they want is something cheaper, and then they're fine with that if they're going to play Call of Duty on it, no matter what. So, I mean, it's fine with that. Some people, it's because they had a PS3, they never had a 360, they're sticking with that. So they don't Very, really know any better. Yeah. Um, and so they don't know what the Xbox One does, or they can only see it as a $100 more console. Or they don't want the Kinect. Or, and some people, that's another thing, is the, the spying on the Kinect kind of stuff. Not completely true, but... Like which I, which I understand one. was a huge. That was a huge thing with the uh, Xbox One was that people felt they it was a violation it, of privacy. Yeah, uh, but I mean, even Microsoft came out with with like HTC and a bunch of other brands up to petition against the government from even having any remote access to their servers to look at their connects. So if Microsoft is fighting the government to, for invasion of privacy, you know Microsoft's not invading your privacy. They're like, no, the government's not going to look at it. So. People's speculations of like, oh, the government's going to be watching me through my camera. Microsoft doesn't want them to. They won't let them. Microsoft owns too much of this world to let the government invade them. But I think a lot of the problem is is that that may not become a knowledge to a lot of people. And their misperception is based off of what the media is feeding them initially is that you have these big scares on these... I mean, you know, you, you read them. You're, 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 uh, whether that's videos on YouTube or media outlets that are pu- you know, exactly. publicizing Or that. word of mouth. One person exactly. hears it, spreads it out, and then it just becomes a virus of, of bad information or false information sometimes. Yeah, exactly. And that's another thing. It's like the people that are angry about something, they're the ones that are heard the most. Um, if someone's happy about like buying an Xbox One and they're like, okay, I'm cool with this, they're good. If someone comes up with one problem with the Xbox One, it's heard by them, by all their friends, their family, then they go and post it, then news outlets, and then it spreads out. But no one hears about the one person that says, my Xbox One was perfect, had no problems, anything like that. They're like, no news there. Bad news travels faster than good news. Exactly. Yep. So, you know, right? that kind of stuff, I'm, I think news is really making it... Uh, uh, a, a worse, not a worse, but a. It's making it's it's adding insult to injury. It is, yeah, and it's either making the PlayStation sound bad or the Xbox sound bad when they're not able to promote themselves in the good way because no one wants to hear it unless they come face to face with someone who has it or who who works with Microsoft or Sony to say, hey, I can guarantee you this. It does not do that. You don't have to have your internet connected all the time. You don't need this. You don't need this. Whatever. Um, no, I, I can agree on that. I, I, I think. You know, there's, there's, there's clearly, you know, and although a lot of it's probably sparked by the media, I mean, you know, and just talking to people, everybody's got favorites. You know, I, yep. I, may, I may be more partial to PlayStation because they originally, it's what I grew up with. And that was me playing, uh, you know, Final Fantasy and that's Chrono true. Cross and Chrono, you know. Chrono anything. Yeah, Chrono <laughs> anything. And, you know, and I mean, that's... That may be long-term why I, but, you know, I, I own an Xbox 360. You know, and, and there are games that I enjoy playing, and whether that's with my kids or me personally that are on the Xbox 360. Look at uh, Bioshock. Oh, yeah, definitely. Huge Bioshock fan, Mass Effect. I mean, there's a lot of games that, that make it worthwhile to, to buy a 360 or to yeah. buy a system. I think a lot of it falls down to is that people maybe fall into the spread of what they're used to, and they just keep going with that. I mean, really, when you propose the question, well, I mean, why do you like your PlayStation 4 over your Xbox? Well, I kind of always had PlayStation products, so I mean, that's... And I get that more times than not. It's ridiculous to, to how many people are just like, I'm comfortable with it, so I'm going to stick with it. And I have no problem with people doing that. I'm comfortable with Xbox, so I'll stick with Xbox. However, I'm also going to get a PlayStation 4. 
from from a couple different things. One, to have all the gaming systems, but the stuff that's only exclusive to certain consoles. Because I admit, one of my favorite game series of all time is on PlayStation. It was Crash Bandicoot. Everything Crash I had. Crash Team Racing, Crash Bandicoot. I remember one Crash Bandicoot, one. man. That was, Dude, that was, was amazing. Times, man. So those types of games, if they ever came out with a new one or stuff like that, I'm still going to get every console to have a little taste of everything. Yeah. Uh, I just like to crash. Yeah. Yes. In fact, I like to crash podcasts, especially this one. Hey, everyone. So, welcome it's, back, Father Time. Yeah, it's uh, Yes, Elvis Lives, and it's another beautiful day in paradise here at the Level Up Expo. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. We were just running some closure on uh, something we uh, brought up on a previous podcast about the uh, console war, whether it was media-driven or if it was truly. Um, it is somewhat overblown, media-driven, but there is actual competition for your dollar. I mean, you see it every day when you're when you're working where you're working. Yeah. Um, you know, people. These companies spend millions upon millions in advertising. They just want to go for your dollar, whether it's handheld, whether it's mobile, whether it's actual console gaming. Please, it's just it. it Yes, it is overblown, but it is. Let's not understate the fact that it is a big business. It is a billion-dollar business as far as video games are concerned. Whether you're just buying that nine-nine cent app on the iOS, or whether you're going all the way and playing on that PS4, it is big business. And now with with the Android gaming market trying to, to knock its way in, not so successful yet. But you never know what may happen because you know there may be other bigger players involved, like Amazon and whatnot. Uh, there's also God. And you've got so many indie developers and different oh, yeah. things like that that, that, that want to kind of go everywhere. Exactly. You, you see or... something new on Kickstarter virtually every day yeah. as far as it's concerned. There's MMOs going up on PC like Elder Scrolls MMO coming out for PC and for consoles. It's actually a great time to be a gamer because you've got so many different options. But conversely, there's so many different companies competing for your dollar. And I know because of that, you've seen a lot of casualties. The mid-market uh, the mid-level developer, the mid-level publisher, like THQ, uh, 38 Studios, they, just to give you examples like that, they have fallen by the wayside because they cannot compete in this highly, highly competitive market. Well, now with, with uh, services like Cloud Gaikai, you know, how is that Gaikai going? PlayStation Now. Yeah, Gaikai PlayStation Now. Yeah. How is that going to influence? How, how deeply is that going That's, to influence the well, purchasing? Like, those are going to keep it more... Uh, keep everything more, you know, digital based. So you're not going to have so many discs. You're going to have more of a uh, digital content download from all these PlayStation Now and these Xbox Live type things. It seems like it's going to make it easier to download stuff, and it's going to be easier, you know, to keep stuff. You don't have to worry about disc loss or anything like that. But the only problem with it is if you don't physically have it, some not not all, but a good portion, a third of them at least, want to have that collection of like here's the disc to have. To only have a digital copy from PlayStation Now or from Steam or from whatever, it's okay, but it's it's only a library that you can show off digitally. Like, you know, look at my computer screen. This is what I've got on my, my I'm the hard same drive. way. Like, I mean, it, it's some, something about it just makes me feel, it makes you feel more like a gamer when you can walk in. And this may sound weird, but when you can walk in to your man cave and see three or four shelves of nothing but PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, Xbox, Xbox 360, Xbox, Xbox One. And just to Nintendo walk in there and, go, and yeah. Sega, if you still got it. I mean, anything yeah. like that. And I mean, it just seemed... To see a showcase of your legacy of what you had, I think yeah. that's, I mean, I, did, I think that you're right. 
the, the, the sensation of physically holding something in your hand is, is a lot different than digital, but I think that is definitely something that's, that's being impressed upon as a tool of convenience. Yeah. And, and I really think they're pushing that, but um, I think we've beaten that to the death. That's yeah. Common, it's right? so, <laughs> anyway, I guess just before we kind of wrap up, before we pick up back here in just a bit, um, I know, like like we stated at the beginning, we're here at the Level Up Expo in Las Vegas, Nevada. Yep. Uh, you know, it's, I'd like to say it's a beautiful day, however, it's more cold than it well, is. We also want to make sure we spend a special shout-out to everyone working at the Las Vegas Level Up Expo, Cashman Center. Everybody's been so gracious. Big shout-out to the Level Up Expo. If you get a chance, stop by, not only like us on Facebook, but also like the Retro Gamer Girls, also... The NES Club, the documentary, we're going to be interviewing them with them as well. And of course, give a shout out and a like to the Level Up Expo themselves. They've been great. They've been so gracious to us. And we're really, really happy to be a part of this. And we got a lot of great content coming to you today. So why don't you just stay tuned with us. Uh, Chris and I will be back probably interviewing some... Uh, uh, you know, some other beautiful cosplay girls yeah. and some other folks walking by your booth here. A lot of really cool things going on here. Just stay tuned. Finish him. Welcome, folks. We are here at the Level Up Expo. Beautiful, well, I'd say a beautiful uh, sunny day. However, that is evidently not the case today. Might be sunny, but it is not warm. There's a difference. The, the, sunny, the sunny part's there. Warm. Yeah, not so much. Well, we have the pleasure of having uh, Wanda and Zoe here with uh, Retro Gamer Girls and Steph. So I'm just going to kind of pass the mic around here and introduce everybody a little bit. Uh, Steph, thank you as always for joining us. Hi, guys. I'm excited to be here. all dressed up and everything, but I'm not going to spend too much time talking. Let me uh, let you guys introduce yourselves. Hello, everyone. I am Zoe from the Retro Gamer Girls. Actually, not quite sure what to say. It's like you might, might have seen us on YouTube. Uh, we're always on Facebook. And I'm Wanda from the Retro Gamer Girls, and thank you guys for having us here today. It's very exciting to be here and to be giving an interview. Actually, one of our first, probably. First We're usually the one interviewing people, yeah, so. It's usually backwards. <laughs> but, but it's really great to be here, and it's a little different perspective for us, so. Steph? No, well, actually, at first I was going to say, do you guys want to just explain real quick for anybody that hasn't heard about what you guys do, give them some information where they can find out about you? Alright, well, uh, what we do is um, we host a show the 20th of every month on YouTube where we just pick like old retro games at random and we just remind people that there's so many people out there bashing the games because they're low quality, the controls are bad, but we want to remind everyone that the games, even though they were low tech at the time, they're still very fun. And so that's kind of what we do is we like just goof off on, on screen and just play the games and like mess with each other while we're trying to play. And sometimes we use colorful language and descriptive words. So, you know, we'll, tr we'll try to keep it, we'll tone it down for you guys here today. But uh, in addition to what Zoe said, we also travel around. We try to get to as many expos and conventions as we can. We try to keep ourselves plugged into the gaming scene, into the gaming community. And uh, we have a real respect for people, both modern and retro gamers alike. So we really like to keep that love alive. So, so tell our folks a little bit about, you know, what, what inspires you to do this. Well, I think basically, I know what inspired me. I think I just kind of like dragged Wanda along for the ride. <laughs> but really, what kind of inspired us was watching other shows, like the Angry Video Game Nerd. Everyone knows of him. It's like you, know, you see a lot of shows like that nowadays where everyone's always blasting the old games. And, I mean, granted, the nerd was more of a character. He's not meant to be taken seriously. 
but we started reading a lot of the comments that were on these shows, and these people really take what he says to heart and serious about And granted, he's right on a couple things, but he's usually just goofing off. So we really got upset. Well, I got upset. It's like I was, because I grew up, I mean, I'm going to date myself amongst all of you. I grew up on the Atari. I started on the 2600. Shut up. (laughs) But it's like, but yeah, that it was really watching the shows and seeing that everyone was, was downing all the old games and the old styles, but they were actually really good games. They just have flaws. So that's, again, just what really kind of drove the creation of the show. Then we just, we love sitting around playing Nintendo anyways. We're always challenging at games like Dr. Mario. She still says she's one of the best at Tetris, but well, can't prove you know, it. I mean, I've recently met a couple people who would kick my loving butt across the country in Tetris, but I, I like to pretend that I'm a, a big Tetris player. Like, other than Nintendo, what are some other systems that you really enjoy getting to go back and play games on? Well, I know Zoe plays everything, and when I say everything, I mean everything. But for me, I just love classic Nintendo. But besides Nintendo, Super Nintendo, and then I followed the Sega Genesis. I was a big Sega Genesis fan. Um, Endless hours of playing The Lion King, I'm not even going to lie. Singing along, humming the music all the way through college, yeah. But, But Zoe here, she's way more into all different types of systems dating back to Atari's. Well, dating back probably before Atari, but... As far as, like, my favorite systems, it's usually hard to say because it really depends on, like, what my mood is at the time. But I think, what was my current count? I think I've got 14 or 15 machines hooked up to my television. So I've got Sega Master System, uh, Sega Genesis, obviously. It's, like, I think actually one of the underrated ones, and I know I'm going to get flack for this probably. I don't know if you guys even remember. The Sega 32X. It survived probably about eight months. But... Honestly, I know a lot of people say, which one? I think it's uh, the 3DO, they say, has the definitive version of Doom. But to me, the 32X had the better version, even without sound. So yeah, I, I play a bit of everything. just depends on the mood. Well, I, I guess, you know, on, a, on another note, I know this is kind of the modern age question now, and I know that uh, from a female perspective, we'd definitely like to hear this. Now, I know way back when... Men were predominantly, you know, you didn't find a lot, uh, a lot of the uh, larger community as being females, and, and I notice now, which, uh, which, which, ironically now, females seem to be dominating more of the gamer market, and not just talking booth babes and everything else standing at booths. I mean, you have, like yourselves, you have a very strong population that's continuing to grow that is female gamers. How did you feel at the time where gaming was more of a male predominant, you know, thing? I mean, are you? Are you obviously you're relieved to see that that's changed now? But you know, was that something back then that was like this is never going to change? I think that that's definitely a good point because as a younger female gamer, I definitely felt like I was the minority. You know, and I don't know if you can agree with with that perspective also. And I found that within my circle of friends, I was really the only female quote unquote gamer that played with the, you know played with the boys, so to speak. So I found that as I got older and I. I kind of got myself more immersed into gaming and shared that with people. They they were surprised, you know, in the fact that, hey, here's a female who actually likes to play Tetris or likes to, you know, play play shooting games. You know, they were like, what what's that, you know? But we've... If I may interrupt, was that a hobby that you felt at the time that you were kind of an outcast because you liked that? 
I don't ever think I was an outcast, but I think I was definitely judged because of the fact that, you know, I had boobs, you know? They're like, you have boobs and a controller in your hand? Like, what's up with that? But, yeah, yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I don't say all the time I play better than them, but, you know, a good majority of the time, I mean, Zoe would, you know, totally kick their asses, but, <laughs> but, you know. I know for me, it was a lot of fun when I would go over to somebody's house and be like, oh, you know, let's play this. I'm like, oh, I want to play. And they're like, oh, don't you go play with the dolls? I'm like, no, 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 I want to play this. And it was always really fun for me personally with the boys when they'd be like, oh my God, like, what? I was going to go easy on you. And I'm like, yeah, nice try. <laughs> You're like, don't don't take it easy just because I bought boobs. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, I just want to see something real quick. Uh, for me, I never really noticed it like in the younger years, like the Atari age, early Nintendo. You never really notice stuff like that because like anyone who's like, and granted, I always hung out with the nerd crowds. We were always talking about Star Trek and everything else. So it was just kind of like the world I was in. I think I really didn't start noticing that kind of stuff until it hit probably actually the Xbox age, once we start getting online. And that's when you start getting a lot of people that when you would try to like help voice chat online and whatnot, do you get, oh my god, what the hell's a girl doing here? You're going to drive us down, you're going to kill us on the team. It's like, you, that was really where it first kind of like saw it for me. Now, as, as gaming's progressively grown so large from what it used to be, I mean, Gerald, Gerald could tell you, back when he went to, you know, the original E3s, you know, where it was just seeing tight-knit community back then. And, and back when he drove his stone car like Fred Flintstone to the E3. <laughs> I love you, Gerald. It's <laughs> <laughs> so mean. I love it. But seeing where we've progressed from back then until where we are now, did you ever imagine that, you know, we would be at the Xbox One where you have, you know, they've integrated Skype conversations in the middle of your gameplay and, and, and being able to download a mobile app that controls your system from home with a smart glass and the PlayStation mobile app? And, and I guess another question in conjunction to that was, do you prefer the gaming age now versus the gaming age back then? Or can you, can you really still enjoy... Well, <laughs> yeah, well, and the thing is, I've actually been asked this question a lot. In... It kind of comes down to the same question I know you guys have probably heard as well online is you always get those people going, what's your favorite game of all time? And I get in so many fights over this particular question, just like what you were asking, because to me it's not a matter of which was better, because they were entirely different styles of games. Like back in the day, you didn't have first-person shooters. You didn't have the modern RPGs like they are now. So, absolutely. And... Back then, it was side-scrollers, beat-em-ups. So, it, to me, it's a matter of, like, if someone said, like, what's your favorite of the beat-em-up genre? Then I could answer a question like that, but it's so different between the old ones and the new ones that it's really hard to, like, narrow down which would be better because they're different in their own rights. I absolutely agree. I'm a hardcore Final Fantasy fan. I played them back when Squaresoft was the one making them, and that's when they were good. My huge problem nowadays is that I remember when I could put in 100 hours easy on Final Fantasy VII. Now I'm lucky if I, if I, if I can make a Final Fantasy XIII stretch until a 10 hours of gameplay. And that is a huge disappointment to me as a gamer, is that it's just so limited now. So what, what do you guys think about that? Well, I mean, I think what's happening too is as games got more graphically intense, you had a lot of the masses responding to the graphics, I think. And as more and more gamers responded to the graphics as being a visual delight, the playability, if it was slightly different, kind of fell by the wayside because I found that a lot of people would prefer better graphics over playability. And that's one of the things, yeah, we... 
Right. And a lot of things we talk about on our show is, I mean, graphics are cool. Don't get me wrong. I love some of the some of the newer games. But what makes the game have high playability factor, like the retro games that we review, it just makes it so much fun that we can get into it and we can, we can be cool with it. So I think it comes down to perspective. But overall, under the umbrella of graphics versus playability, I think that, and I think you might agree that graphics are kind of outweighing over playability, which is sad because I agree with you, you know, when you used to play the games that actually you could feel you could enjoy, you know, versus, oh, they just look pretty. <laughs> I agree, actually. And I, I think much like you were saying to add to it, I think they use the graphics too much to sell the games. It's like, actually, they've started doing it less noise. Actually, one of the worst ones about this was Blizzard, was they would always try to show off the new World of Warcraft games using the cutscenes, which never have anything to do with what the graphics on the game look like. Oh, they're fantastic at making cutscenes, but that's not in the game. That That's like two minutes of the game. And kind of to go with what Wanda was saying, to me, to me, I think it always falls down to the replay factor. It's like, the older games have a much higher replay vac- factor because the new ones, they, they look really good, but once you get through the story, it's kind of like, eh. I think the main ones, like, and in fact, the reason I even own a 360 is actually due to the Mass Effect trilogy. Good choice. I, it, I actually got the system strictly to play because I played my brother's version and fell in love with it. But it actually has the diversity where you could actually go back and replay it and make different decisions, do different things. Whereas, like, with Final Fantasy XIII, it's the same story every time. Nothing changes. You really can't do much as far as the gameplay. You know, on that note, I, I think also, you know, with these newer gen titles, you have very limited, um, you have very limited interest in continuing on side quests because there's nothing that compels you to do that anymore. And, and I think, I think, unfortunately, again, that falls back to the same thing. Where, where does the threshold stop between um, how good a game is and how good it looks? And that's just that's disheartening as a gamer because I only see it progressively getting worse and worse and worse. It almost doesn't make sense to go and buy uh, to spend sixty dollars on a game when you could red box it, or you know, download it off of the, off of the cloud, which is now what you know, Gaikai, you know, Gaikai and everything is is moving towards. What purposes are purchasing games? So, you know, another aspect of it is is that do you find that there's more good games? You know, I, that's kind of a trick question. Do you find that there's what, what uh, here's here's another way of putting it. What genres do you think they should maybe focus on that that would more strongly impact and more and maybe have a stronger impact in grabbing more people's interest instead of going well? Why am I going to spend sixty bucks if I'm only going to get four hours of gameplay out of this? You know, like I mean, what what's your kind of perspective on that? Well, I don't think it's a matter of focusing on any particular genre. I think really what it comes down to, and I think Nintendo kind of nails this one home at this point is. The 3DS is not as powerful as the rest of the, obviously, the home consoles. It just can't be. But what the 3DS does, it does extremely well. It makes RPGs, there's brawlers on it, there's everything you can want. The Pokemon series alone is excelled the RPGs on there. And then we've got the new one coming out, was that Bravely Default? That everyone's dying seeing it's the new Final Fantasy. So... It's not a matter of picking which genres that would work better. It's a matter of realizing that maybe like decrease the graphics just a bit. I know there's graphic hounds out there. I remember standing in line for my brother's PlayStation 4 at midnight 
And there's guys going, screw the Xbox, it's not 1080p. Who cares? If the game's not fun, I don't care if it's holographic. I mean, it, it's not going to impress me if it's just suck. Honestly, I, and again, I need to make myself sound really old. I lived through in the 80s when everyone went through the craze of 3D. Jaws 3D, Friday the 13th 3D. What can I make Yeah. And I've seen some 3D movies even nowadays. And first off, they're overpriced beyond all belief. But secondly, it's not a selling feature because what does it really add to the movie? There, it adds nothing but, like, again, yeah. Well, it's like the new graphics. It's like, you can make it look as pretty as you want, but if your story is hollow, it's completely useless. 3D, to me, has always been a fad and always will be. I mean, I think that there's a lot of games and TVs that together might work beautifully, but you might get a game that's 3D and your TV doesn't really quite link up with it. So I think that there's still a lot of technology that needs to be refined with 3D. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I think it's kind of fun when, when stuff flies at your face like that, you know. <laughs> you have to be all, like, spontaneous and, you know, duck and stuff. But um, I actually think that what Zoe was saying is, holds pretty true because I think 3D had its place, but it's kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit more now. But um, I think that if you can get a good matchup, it could be it has the potential to be awesome. But going back to the 3DS, do you do you ladies have a 3DS with you? You do. Could you wiggle it near that purse, please? Just. <laughs> Speaking of that, though, like a lot of a lot of the time they do with the advertising, it's so much about the graphics. What what will really sell a game for you, like? If you were to if you were to go out and make a game and you wanted to sell it to people, like what would you really advertise to get people to buy it? I think the main thing that I would say that I would look for within a game that I want to purchase is it really has to show me that it has a story worth following. It's like much like with a movie preview, a movie preview can be cut like a horror film to where you're just seeing okay, blood, boobs, that's the the amount you're gonna see. Typical horror movie. Yeah, typical horror movie. But if, if the story can actually catch my attention, that's when I'll start doing more research and actually find myself interested in it. On, on that note, again, referencing Final Fantasy VII, I know, I know way back when, when you know, I was playing that, I think, I think when Sephiroth killed Eris, that was such an emotionally compelling thing at that time. And I think that a lot of games don't have so much... Like uh, The Last of Us, which is an excellent example. I know when I initially played that game and his daughter got shot, I was like, oh my god, that is, that, I mean, the, the emotion that was behind that whole thing was, I mean, it almost made me want to tear up, I mean, and it was, and it was just, I think, I think Naughty Dog really struck gold on that because that, that is the meat and potatoes that I think games need, and that's what a lot of them is lacking. I remember I borrowed that game from my brother, and I did just like you, except, of course, I was in tears through the entire sequence. But That's okay, so was I. <laughs> because you're a real human being, unlike Nick over here. <laughs> I only slightly teared up, but it was emotional enough to do that one. Angry Nick actually sad Nick? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Gerald, take that out. <laughs> Gerald got his payback and he wasn't even here. Yeah, because I know you will use that plug so very much in the future. It'll be played constantly. Like, was Angry Nick sad Nick? Aww. <laughs> but 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 you know that's what games need, and I, I think that unfortunately that that's that's where it's really that's really where it's fallen by the wayside. 
with like the Mass Effect series, that's how that excelled, and that's what really pulled me in was the graphics weren't the best, particularly on Mass Effect 1. The controls were clunky as heck. But what it did have was it had characters you ended up caring about so much so it's like I ended up not getting the best ending. Obviously some of the characters died because you have to run that risk when you choose the missions. And my brother was like, well, why don't you just play through it again and get get it perfect? That way when you get the next game, you'll be able to have it there. I'm like, but that destroys the realism of the experience. It's like them not being there and have sacrificed for what had happened in the story actually, I think, richened the entire experience and story itself. Again, and I think it goes, again, back to that whole, you know, I think by the end of the game, if you have an attachment with those characters and you go, wow. And man, if they made a second one, I'm just, I'm compelled to want to buy that so that I can continue that story. Absolutely. And I think that's the big thing with modern games is they have to realize that graphics are only going to get them so far. PlayStation 4 and Xbox One at this point are really suffering from that. People are realizing, hey, you've touted all these graphics, now where's the experience? Where's the story? Well, a big problem, too, is that a lot of the games that have that, the experience, the story that are going to be coming out, like I know Watch Dogs is one I'm really looking forward to, it's coming out on the old system. So I'm not compelled to buy a new system just so that I can play the game in a little bit better graphics. Like, I just, it's going to be a good game, whether it looks, you know, perfect or whether, you know, it's a little slower. It's, you know, not quite as high of a frame rate, not as much going on. Like, it's still going to be a good game if it's a good game regardless of what those graphics are. Well, um, I know that uh, we just think Steph and I and Gerald um, and GameSource in its entirety can just thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for the great content. We had fun. Right, I promised. I promised that. I, we had fun. Put your info out there again just to get some of our readers so they know where to find you guys at. Yeah, you can follow us. We put we do posts all the time, uh, weekly finds of like what we find out in the markets. On uh, Facebook backslash Retro Gamer Girls, uh, YouTube is the same thing. YouTube backslash Retro Gamer Girls, and we usually put up a new show. The new series will be starting the twentieth of this month, and we put up the twentieth every month. Thank you for having us around. Thank you very much. Absolutely, thank you guys. Had a lot of fun. Good. You were great, Angry Nick. We love it. <laughs> All right, yeah. Sadness. 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 Well, you know where to find all this great content. Find us at www.yourgamestores.com. Remember to check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and our Vine. Just Google or find us at GameSource. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And definitely thank you to Zoe and Wanda for joining us. And again, that was the Retro Gamer Girls. You knew where to find them. (laughs) All right, thanks. Fatality. Thanks, thanks, gentlemen, for joining us today. Thank Uh, you. you The Level Up Expo here. Kind of go some introductions here. So uh, we have Robert and Mason here for uh, NES Club. Yes. I realize you guys got a cool documentary coming out in 2015. Yeah, it's uh, we're we're aiming for October ish this year, 2014. The 2015 is just in case that one thing happens happens. So we like to give ourselves a little bit of time. But we shot in the summer of 2013, and of course, making a film takes a long time. We have about 150 hours to put together, but we are really excited to share it with the whole world at this point. Awesome, good deal, good deal. Did you uh, run anything snags? Yeah. There's always a little fun stories here and there. I mean, from a from a like a, an operations point of view, there was an incident when we were leaving Houston. We're heading north to make our way back to Canada on our second big road trip, as Jay was going to get all the video games and whatnot. And uh, 
we thought the transmission dropped in the van that we were driving. We suddenly lost all power, and uh, my producer, Jordan, who was driving at the time, was a really big car guy, too. He's like, I don't know what's going on, so we managed to get over. And as he was pulling over, he realized that we were actually just out of gas. <laughs> so, it, I mean, he's the most, like, mechanically oriented guy. His family's been in bad cars. And it's funny, though, because the gas gauge in the car doesn't go from left to right. It goes from right to left for some reason. So the E is on the left. <laughs> So when you're glancing down and we're like four hours of sleep because we're shooting 15 hours a day in the back of the hotel, logging footage. So you just got up and just saw it like, you know, it's just a little past what we would all think is full if we're not paying attention. Yeah. It was actually like 10 miles till empty and we hit empty and had to get it to the, the feeder road and push it to the gas station that was luckily maybe a quarter mile away. Were you guys taping all that? Which I started to roll with my iPhone, but then I ran out of space on my iPhone as I was trying to roll. just that thing out of the It's just like I'm, I'm pushing the car, out. trying to film at the same time. We have people pushing behind us. It's, but yeah, that's a fun story. So, I mean, um, you know, it sounds like you guys are doing something that, you know, I, I would say something that's not really been done before. I mean, that's, that's, that's cool. You're trying to, like, re-innovate and trying to make your own thing, aren't you? Well, I think it's always important anytime you make a film or a TV show, you want to give people something they haven't seen. Yeah. That's not to come down on anything that's out there, but we wanted to really kind of go big. And, you know, we could do just a documentary on the history of Nintendo. Sure, that would be, you know, cool and stuff, but then it's really limited to the access that you get and who you can interview. And we got some pretty cool people as, as it is and stuff. But we wanted to take it to the next level. We really wanted to hammer home why the NES as a console is so important even today and the impact that it still has on people, that ripple effect from its first launch. I mean, so when you hear about our premise about a guy who has to get the entire NES library, 678 games in 30 days with no online purchases, you got to ask yourself, what about that system drives somebody today to do that? Why is it so important that someone would set aside their entire summer and their funds to do that? And there's just a whole bunch of factors that lead up to that. But it's like, it's rather than me just telling you why the Nintendo is important, you can see it in the passion on our main character Jay's face as he goes throughout this journey and how he changes from the beginning to the end, all because of plastic 8-bit cartridges. Which, which I guess, you know, it, like, yeah, that places a lot of value on, on, on his values, on, yeah. on what he feels on board, which sure. is actually going to be our next question was to kind of brief our listeners on a little bit about, you know, what it is and kind of the, some of the, some of the things you maybe have experienced so far on the journey and, and what, <laughs> what, what you may uh, anticipate <laughs> sure. will, will come from it. And like, uh, so how many operational hours do you think between, uh, editing and taping and everything would you estimate at this point? It's, it's been an insane amount. I mean, we were lucky to meet Mason Kramer, who, for those of you guys who don't know, he's like a pro-level competitive gamer. He's got the world record on Super Mario World. He just did the world record on Super Mario 3. And it glitched out, but he still got the point record on it. He holds several other world Eat records. Eat that! Eat that world! I glitched and still got it. It was a cool-looking glitch. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. What is the record on the original Mario the original Mario Brothers? Yeah, Super Mario Brothers. Uh, I'm, pre I'm pretty well, sure you know that. The posted world record right now is about 1.2 million on Five Lives tournament settings, but a player named Andrew Bardicus has actually gotten a 1.4 million point game, which it, most people will assume would probably not be possible, but he got it. He hasn't submitted that video anywhere, but the video is on YouTube, and he says, Hi, I'm Andrew Bardicus. I got this. I'm not submitting it. So the world record, because I trust him and because he played it correctly, because yeah. we all know who Andrew Gardicus is, yeah, really fantastic speedrunner, he got 1.4 million. So on the original Mario Brothers, 1.4 million, five lives, tournament settings. Yeah. Nice. So for an example, when we met with Mason on like our sixth day of Jay's 30-day journey, we had stopped in Buffalo. We drove about... 
12 hours to get to Dubois from where we were in Canada with stops and everything like that. We filmed for another three hours with them. We hung out with them at a pub where we were still filming with our iPhones and stuff. We went back to our hotel, logged footage for two hours, got literally four hours of sleep, got up the next day, went to their local gaming store, filmed for three hours, we're back on the road to Pittsburgh and then stopped at 8 o'clock that night. Multiply that by 30 days just in the shooting cycle, let alone all the editing, let alone all the prep, let alone all the phone calls during Kickstarter and all those emails and like really learning how to market yourselves and who to contact and when and doing all the interviews that we've been doing with like Yahoo News, NBC, CBS, CTV in Canada, CBC Radio 1, coming to conventions like San Diego Comic Con, like Level 1 Up Expo, like uh, PRGE in Portland, like Con Bravo in Hamilton. There's just no end to... It's just really hard to estimate how many hours because it's just a second life. And these, I mean, I got a full-time job aside from this, and it's just there's just no rest for the wicked. Yeah, I was gonna say, how do you how do you manage that? You just you, know, you just learn to keep like, the place spinning. It sounds like you had a 30 day non-stop, just like I'm gonna stay awake the whole time kind of thing. It was it was already hard. It was pretty hard. I mean, uh, there was a lot of. I mean, I'm from Canada originally, where Jay's from, in a town called London, Ontario, two hours southwest of Toronto, basically between Detroit and Toronto. For anybody that knows the area. And I drove from Las Vegas all the way there to get ready for this. And then we drove all the way through the, you know, the U.S., listen to the Canadian in me. And then all the way back. And then I had to drive all the way back home from Canada to Vegas. And then back to my regular job. So I was away from home for like eight weeks in Vegas. So it was really hard being away from my wife and my dog and stuff like that. But just you just got to keep going. Do you like to travel, though? I mean, do you like the experience of being able to? Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> I mean, you did up until the last day. It's novelty wore off by like day three. <laughs> you know, a hotel rooms, a hotel room, hotel food, and surrounding food is kind of the same. It's uh, every road looks the same. I'm, bit, I'm assuming. Yeah. So, so I mean, I, I curiosity. So budget, budget for this. Do you do you, for something of this this greatest scale? I mean, do you do you have do you have like a, a someone who invests in that? Do you have? I mean, how do you how do you structure your budget for this? Well, for the sake of the film and distributors and all that, I'm not going to divulge any numbers. Yeah. We, we were successful on Kickstarter, and we were looking to raise $15,000. We got to 16800 Kickstarter takes 10%, and then you got to hope that everybody that pledged pays up. That wasn't the case for us. We actually lost a little bit of cash. It sometimes happens. People don't know bills are coming in, and depends on where they're getting their paycheck. And you know, it's. I don't think it's anything malicious by any means. And we still got to keep all the other money regardless of where we ended up. Kickstarter only represented a small portion of money that we needed. I mean, we've literally traveled like 10,000 miles by road. So if you think of gas costs, feeding six people, oh, that, that hotel costs, yeah. then it adds up. Then you have like crew salaries and budget stuff like that. You know, expendables like tape and bulbs and you know, different little things that you need. It's like, oh, I need more batteries. I mean, we spent probably $500 on batteries just because we're going through lav mics and double A's and stuff like that constantly. And we're not anywhere long enough to recharge stuff so we can't use a charger. And there was just a lot of, a lot of money that gets spent. A lot of people initially, and this was the thing that Jay and I can understand, thought we were raising money on Kickstarter for him to buy the games. And it's like, no, man, 15,000, first of all, won't cover probably all the games at, you know, store prices. But... How are we going to pay for the, the cost of the film? So when it comes to budgeting that kind of stuff, it, you just you do your best to reach out to people. We were very thankful for Kickstarter. I put a lot of my personal money into it. We managed to attract a few investors and stuff. And, and on the distribution end, we've already had talks with people as well. So that's always nice before you're done a film for distributors to reach out and say, we'd love to talk to you about your film. 
So, uh, I mean, through through your experiences so far, have you had any dangerous events <laughs> happen or anything? Dangerous events? Or anything that, that would have hindered your uh, ability to actually record? Other than, like, you know, gas running out or something like that. Anything around that or... Bad neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually... <laughs> It wasn't really revolving around games so much, but, uh, you know, when actually the day after, the day we left Dubois, PA, where Mason's from, we went to Pittsburgh that night, and the stores were closing by the time we got there and we were ready to get set up. So we're like, okay, we'll call it a wash. And, you know, we just wanted to unwind with a, with a couple sodas, so to speak. And none of us had been to Pittsburgh before, and I just used my smartphone to say, okay, soda shop, so to speak, and... It took us to this really sketchy neighborhood where there was this guy, and he just had this little window, and he was just like, what do you want? And he just kind of put the case there. We just, like, exchanged the money. The car was still running. The van door slid open. And we just kind of ran in there because there was people on the streets kind of watching us, like, you boys are from around here. Like, no, we're not. We're thirsty, and that's about it. We just want to leave. So that, that was kind of interesting and stuff like that, but nothing really like super dangerous. Detroit was kind of fun driving through. We made a couple calculated decisions to change some of our stops and, and whatnot, but nothing nothing super dangerous. So, so in terms of your experiences with uh, just people and, and you know, actually finding these games, hunting down, what was your process for, for, for hunting down each of these, each of these titles and, and what was your... Uh, what was your throughput process on that? Like, how did you go about initiating contact with these folks and uh, establishing a relationship with them to go, hey, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, there was a few stores that had reached out to us before we started, so we knew we were going to hit them. VGX and Du Bois knew about us, and they were like, "Yeah, you got to come." Mainly because I'd been talking to Mason Kramer, John Pomp, another world record holder. Like, "Yeah, you got to come to our store." We're like, "Okay, we'll put that on the map." Darren Griffin owns a store in Columbus called Warp Zone. Great guy. He helped pledge on Kickstarter, so we were talking to him right away. But other than those two stores and a few in our local area that we grew up in in our hometown, nobody knew we were coming. Because we were worried that if we called ahead, it'd be really easy for them to say no and hang up, and then we wouldn't get in the door. But it's really hard for someone with the, with, with the puppy dog eyes to say, can we please film in your game store for this little documentary you want to do when you're there in person. It's really easy to hang up a phone, but it's hard to say no to a person when your intentions are coming off so good. We want to advertise your store, showcase that it's in Austin, Texas, or Oklahoma City. And just, look, you just want to be in for a couple minutes. We're in the middle of the day. It's not busy. So people were pretty receptive to that kind of thing. It's The the actual route was planned by just logistics. We knew how far we could go gas-wise, and we knew how many stores we could only realistically get in a day. And Jay was working the entire time we shot the 30 days, so the two stretches that he took off were just his holidays. So, like, the first six days he was still at work, and then we'd go game hunting at night after work. And then he took a week off, so we'd go basically through like the northeast stores and then come back and have to work for nine days and then he got another nine days off so that's when we went to texas and back so, so did you find that any anybody that you went and asked did you find any resistance when you went in there like oh no no no, no. there was a couple places there's mainly like the flea markets um one flea market in particular did not want anything filmed by any means i don't know if they were afraid about how they come off or their prices being shown or anything like that that was really the only kind of case because you know, we're pretty transparent on what we're trying to do. There's stuff online about us. We're not making this up. We're not... You sound like you're coming there fictitiously. And I'm not trying to, to exploit anybody. It's an honest thing. In the documentary, there is probably three instances in total where we mentioned prices. We didn't want this to be about 
how much Jay got her for it, how much it's worth. We didn't want it to turn into a Pawn Star thing or an American Picker thing. Well, where it's about, it's not about Jay profiting, it's about him collecting the games for certain reasons, the stories that those games will have now forever, and the community of people that we're meeting and like becoming a part of, and what that means as, as a greater whole, and how that community still exists from 30 years ago, and how it's still out there. And you can only find that by doing games in person. You don't get that by clicking and buying a game on eBay. You know, and you don't get that by buying digital games in solitude. Well, and I was kind of, you know, I was going through the synopsis of it and everything, and you know, there's so many good points about how uh, gaming is, in its entirety has become less of a social, you know, with, with, with so many benefits such as, like, uh, like we discussed earlier, with that guy kind the PlayStation now, sure. and with the cloud, and it's eliminated a lot of the social networking, social interaction, because you have so many people who are, like I said, yeah. You know, there's less controller passing. Now it's all, hey, you're in another state? Yeah, no problem. We could jump online and take care of it. It's less, well, oh, hey, why don't you come over? Let's you know, order pizza. And let's. So, so here's kind of like the main drive of the film, guys. Here's what it comes down to. Back then, we were very connected with one another. We'd get some pizza and hang out. Now, we're just plugged in. You know, it's a simulated form at connecting with one another. Sure, we can talk to people in France and Japan and have that gaming experience. And there's nothing wrong with that, but except for it's a vacuumous void where we don't have that real, tangible human interaction. There's nothing worse than the silence of ending an online game with one another. It's like, okay, I see you tomorrow, click, and then it's just silence. That's like, that's a scary kind of feeling. It's like, oh, okay, that adrenaline is gone, that human connection is gone, versus like, you know, your friends go out the door and say, like, hey, I'll call you later, blah, blah, blah. Think of all the Nintendo hits that they've had. The NES, huge hit. They brought it back into the home. You know, they advertise it as like a family thing. You look on the back of the NES action set. It's the whole family gathering around it. The N64, four controller ports. Mario Kart, GoldenEye. It's a, it's a shared experience. Look at the Wii. That's all, the whole family, every generation play this because anybody can play this. That was their whole drive initially when the Nintendo Wii came out. Was exactly. Anybody can play this as long as you can move your body. You don't have to be a wizard gamer like Mr. Mason Kramer. Although it helps, <laughs> you know. Well, and, and I think Nintendo traditionally has always centered around the family. Yeah. It just seems like in all their commercials. I do not know a Nintendo commercial that does not have a family. Hey, mom, let's play that. Sure. Even as corny as some of them are, especially with the new Wii U commercials, it's always about the family. Whether it's, it's about the family or not, it's at least about a group experience. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's never experienced this by yourself yeah. in the basement with the you know the light shut off yeah. and the door locked, <laughs> and hopefully nobody catches you while you have this gaming experience. Yeah, exactly. Like, while you guys were filming and everything, did you take time to game with each other, or was it... Absolutely. I mean, one of the things we had to do was make sure all the games worked that Jay got, right? So every night in the hotel room, we'd, we'd pop out, you know, the game system popping in and start playing games. Usually while I was logging footage, Jay and one of the other crew members would start playing stuff. And we really got to experience how great some of the games were and how not great some of the games were. But that's part of the fun. It's like, oh my god, this game is so infuriating, but I can't stop playing it because it shouldn't be this bad or this hard. Like, what were these people thinking, right? Did any of them not work? No, we actually got real lucky. <laughs> we got pretty lucky on that stuff. I mean, we had to clean some of them with Q-tips and solution and blow into them a few times. And... Oh, actually, it's going to that. I don't know if you've ever read most of the NES games. On the back of them, they will even say, don't blow in the yeah. cartridge. Yeah. And yet, how many people did that? Everybody did. Everyone blew sure. the cartridge. <laughs> Absolutely. Put it in, but on the back it said not to do it. And I found that to be the most hilarious thing. Like, there was an article recently said that actually really like corrodes 
like the, the metal like contacts and all Isn't that did good? was create a better contact when in case there was dust or dirt when you blew in it you might have you know moved around or some of the saliva from your mouth might have cleaned it a little bit but it's all about that connection point and yeah. the, the, the NESs that worked the best were the second version the top loaders because yeah. the contacts are a lot firmer on the top loading thing which is why after the NES almost all the consoles that came out were top loading cards it just creates a better contact point I mean I don't think you guys ever blew in a Super Nintendo cartridge or a Genesis cartridge probably be few and far between I, I oh, did of course it, I did it out of habit because I was so used to it with the NES sure. that I got a Super NES I'm like yeah so why not I like smack the top down for make yeah. sure it works exactly. yeah well Fair I remember enough. my parents doing that when we got our Nintendo 64 because we went from Nintendo to Nintendo 64 sure so they're just like yeah. it's not working there you go. Blow on it. That'll See make if it, it works. Work. It fixes everything. <laughs> well, so, you could do that on discs now. Like, Xbox right. One is more. Yeah. Now it's like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah rub it all over more. your chest. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, like, uh, did you have, did you have really anything through your journey that was just really, really memorable for you? That just, out of everything you've done, just really will. Did we have anything that was really, really memorable? Yeah. Meeting all the people. I mean. I didn't know Mason at all until like June or July, and now he's here staying at my house with me in Las Vegas. I mean, we talk fairly frequently online and with one another. Building this up, this event up was really cool back and forth. We got to meet Billy Mitchell and Walter Day and Todd Rogers, who's like the world's first pro gamer. Just all these people that like open their you know doors to us, like Thor Ackerlund, who won Nintendo World Championships. We flew to Texas just to see him and stuff like that, you know. We won the tournament over, like, 1.2 million. It was essentially the wizard situation in real life. And this guy just opened the doors. The only one to ever max out NES Tetris and get to level 30 on it. So, yeah, I qualified that for you. <laughs> I was waiting for that. So, I mean, just these, like, huge giants in the gaming community just, like, being willing to, like, recognize that we're just people and we want to be a part of that. It's just, I mean... A lot of people claim that there's a lot of trolls out there because it's such an online thing. People can hide behind their connection and stuff, but what we witnessed was complete opposite. Everybody wanted to, you know, help us as much as they could, be part of it, and really enforce that, you know, human aspect to it. So that was, like, heartwarming and still is. So, so uh, you know, looking forward with this, do you think that once this is produced, published, made available, is this looking to, hope, you know, to, to make it theaters? It, a lot of that will depend on what our distributor wants to do. It's definitely going to be a video-on-demand title, so you'll be able to get it on you know, Netflix and Hulu and iTunes and stuff like that. Cool. A few of our distributors are saying, depending on how the final cut turns out, it might be worth like a limited theatrical release, like day and date kind of thing. Uh, definitely going to be on disc. Um, and probably just like you know, kind of the other places you want to go. We might try to get it in stores. Best Buy and a few of the other chains are really kind of strange about how they pick stuff. They'll order like a million units, but if they only sell five hundred thousand, then they'll want to switch what they have for their money back. So it's a little strange like that. But we're really hoping for theatrical. We want to tour it ourselves, even if we gotta put up the kind of cash ourselves and come to a city near you. If we can pre-sale the tickets, work with local game stores to help you know cover travel costs and just bring it to people firsthand and shake people's hands and say man thanks for coming out I'm glad you're a fan this is what it's about and we don't want it to exist in a vacuum where people are watching it in their living rooms alone this is a community film about communities you know absolutely well I, I think I could I could say for all of us we would very much you know, love the opportunity to be able to sure to, 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 to 
see that finished product. That'd be great. Maybe we can do like a podcast at one of the screenings or something oh, like that. Yeah, yeah. Before that or be after amazing. and ask people what they think as they're coming out or something that would be like amazing. that. You know what? We are, we are all for that. Cool. Let us know where we're Sure. That would be great. I just, you know, I think, you know, again, and, and reading, reading through the synopsis, it's, I think it's good to see that. I see so many documentaries about so many other things. And, and gaming, I don't think, is ever really a central, in, sense, in essence, a central part of that. Okay. And, and, and it's just, I think it's cool that you're combining that community with gaming and you're kind of, uh, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're kind of re-engineering that mix. And, sure. And hopefully maybe that'll give rise to, to see that, oh, hey, we need to, like, you know, get together instead of yeah. just jumping online. You know? What? Well, I think it's really exciting, personally, that you're doing it about gaming and community because there's so much of this mentality that people have in their heads that a gamer is somebody that just locks themselves in their basement. But like you said, you experienced so many people that were willing to go out and help. And really, that's a lot of what the gaming community is. Yeah, there are people that lock themselves in their basement, but not everybody does that. There are tons of people that are gamers that have a great social life, that want to go out, want to be with people, that don't want to be alone in their basement. And it's really... I'm just excited that you're being able to get that out there yeah. and show people that we don't all lock ourselves in our basement. It's it's quite the opposite. I mean, yeah. as much as people want to paint gamers or game or people that love games as introverts and closed off people, they are the most that excuse the stereotype, but they are the most passionate group of people who are willing to bend over backwards as long as you're honest and transparent. And we don't all play WoW. No, we don't. We don't all play. Some of us do. I had to make a conscious decision to give up WoW. It's either my film career or WoW, and you know, my level thirty dwarf just wasn't cutting it at the time, so I didn't want to tank. Let me ask you guys a question, if I could turn the tables around a bit. When you guys read the synopsis, when did you guys first hear about the film, and what like you know lit up your eyes and your ears, and like why did you why did you guys want to reach out to us and talk to us and stuff like that? Well, I think I could say you know. Being our first year at Level Up Expo, we were going through seeing who the panels were and was available. And, you know, I, you know, we had actually Gerald, uh, or maybe floating around here, uh, had had known. You know, we, we took the opportunity to check you out and you know have a look through there. I, I mean, me personally, I think I could say, you know, hey, this is this is new. You know, this is something that I don't think anybody's really ever done before. And then you know, having read through that, it, 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 it touched at least for me. So strongly on just that is, is that you know, all gamers are not introverts. And that gaming should be a should be a community sport. And you know, going to going to things like the Entertainment Expo, and being able to see a group of gamers come together as a group of people, and to see that that you know that natural born competition, like you know people jumping up and yelling, and you know, hey, all right, good job, or you know, and I think I think unfortunately with uh, with everything being such an online component now, we've lost the sense of in essence what we used to be and gaming just isn't what it used to be anymore so I think you have just an incredible incredible concept here and I think uh, I'm expecting really great results so, you know, <laughs> no, I, no pressure <laughs> no pressure I, I can see almost anyone expecting it to be great though because you do seem like you have your heart into this and, and you put basically everything you can your blood sweat and tears into it people are going to see that in your final work and that's what we're expecting. I hope I mean, so. <laughs> we, we can at least see it coming to life. And I'm not saying that I have the highest expectation. I'm not hoping that it sells like better than Avatar out, out there. But yeah. I, I can see it being a, an amazing film. And it's really going to let non-gamers aware of what we are like. And then actual gamers know what their core basis is. Whether they do play alone, whether they do play with friends, like, like in a community land, they 
it lets everyone know how we really are. Right. Um, and that's the biggest thing is our site is to kind of get everyone together. We go out and we try to uh, contact the community. We go out to the game, local mom and pop game stores or we just get a hold of everyone. And we make sure that everyone still stays connected, still stays to their human form. And that's exactly what your movie's about. So it kind of goes hand in hand with us being a website, you being a movie. It almost nice. seems like they could be one and another. Well, because those, those, small, those small mom and pop places are what really sure. start. I mean, that, that's yeah. small beginnings make, make great endings. It's kind of like, you know, that's where we're coming from. Yeah, a very grassroots good. approach to yeah. something that means something. Yeah, I mean, like, when I first read the synopsis, of course, my favorite thing was that it was about community, and it wasn't about, you know, somebody sitting in their basement alone not to go on the same track again. Yeah. But then also, even just during our interview, when you're talking about it, you can tell that you're not just trying to sell it to make money. Like, you're passionate about it. Not that there's it. anything wrong with no, it. No, <laughs> not at all, which is great. We're not saying this is a non no, 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 But, but when you're wrong. talking about it, you can, you can tell when people just want to make money. That's all they want to sure. do. They don't care really about what they're doing. But you can really tell that you have a passion for it, and that you're excited about what you're doing, and you're enjoying what you're doing. And I love that. Mason, what did you think? I mean, you're coming at it from a different point of view. I mean, these guys are... You guys are pretty new to the whole thing coming at like after we've shot but Mason you were like on kind of like page one or two like we were reaching out to people what drew you to the NES club I, I was really and what was your experience like oh man uh, that's a big question um well I really like if the, you guys don't mind no you know, we just you know, just go ahead take it over that's great um I'm really a fan and okay I'm gonna have to talk about I talk about this movie and we talk about this too by talking about another movie uh and it's a weird one Brave Little Toaster um if you've ever seen, yes, it's got this cult following, and what it, what that movie is about to me is there, there's all you know the the appliances, and they want to find the master, the the kid that took care of them and built them and stuff, and he moves away, and they want to find him, and it's all about this quest for identity and purpose. They want their their appliances, but they they want to be useful. They want to have a purpose. They want to be loved and appreciated as what they are. NES Club to me, I mean, I saw this right away. It was. It was in that same vein. It's the quest to find every dusty box containing a piece of my childhood, to, art, to, to dig up archaeologically at flea markets and mom-and-pop stations, to go everywhere and anywhere to track down this whole part of my childhood and these objects that were so so meaningful and, and, and valuable to me and did so much. And, you know, these, these games that are... You know, they're, they're dusty and old and someone put sandwiches on them and they're, they need cleaned up and stuff. And... You know, you want to you want to save that. You say, well, no, this isn't junk. This is a Mario Three. Yeah, the label might be torn up. You know, he might be a sort of a beat up guy, but you know, th this has heart and feeling, and this is real imagination here. So it's the quest to like to save those and to, to lift that all back up again. So that's that's what what drew me to the concept. What was um, the experience like for you, both filming with us and like watching our exploits after the, we left? The, exper the experience is continuing right now. It's true. You know, so I can't, I can't recap the whole thing without a time machine. Um, but it was really, really exciting. It was really exciting that you guys wanted to come to, to VGX and to come, come and see our shop. And we, you know, we were so excited. We said, wow, these these guys are making a movie about gaming. And like, we just, man, we were, me and John just talked about it forever. And we, we wanted to roll out the red carpet and really, you know, and show did. you guys. They a got good the time. local news and everything there. We got, yeah, we got some news and we got, you know, we got games and stuff. And it was, it was cool that you guys wanted to hit. The local game stores, and it was nice that you wanted to talk to Dan and, sure. and Amanda too, and stuff. And that that was really cool because so much of the the retro culture is centered around local game shops and people taking it upon themselves to provide a place and a store where we can 
where I okay I know about these games and I'm going to provide a place to to sell them and to clean them up and to fix them and to have a, a, a still a presence for that because you're not no one's selling that at Walmart no one's selling that at any major store you've got to go GameStop doesn't care GameStop doesn't care about the about us you know the retro stuff they don't care so you really like you got to dive into those mom and pop independent kind of stores because those are like the last bastillion of the holdouts that are still trying to keep it alive. In some cases, so sometimes you know it's other places, but I don't mean to generalize. Well, again, like mom and pop stores, most um, regards to video games, they have a passion for what they're doing. You don't open a store to run something that you hate. And when you ask, like, hey, what do you think of this game? If it's a bad game, most of the time they're going to tell you, eh, it's not that great. Whereas you know, at GameStop, they're like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's great. You know, I love My Little Pony ride. Yeah. It's a great game. You should get it. Like, but you know, at a mom and pop store, they're really gonna listen to what you want to do, what you want to play, what experience you want, and you know, base that off of that. Tell you, hey, try this game out. Try this out. This is, you know, what I think you'll enjoy. Sure. Because if they give you something you'll enjoy, you're gonna want to come back. Yeah. It's yeah. Not, you know, it's all just, about the experience. Yeah, it's the not about the end product. And along with that too, I, Dan is, is the guy that runs the video game store in Dubois. He's a good friend of mine. I really respect the guy. And he does this thing, and I, I, just, I respect him so much for this, right? Someone will come in, and they'll have something they want to trade in. And you can either get cash or store credit for it. Say they have, I, I don't know, a Radical Nintendo concept. or a game. Yeah, <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> Who'd have thunk it? Um, but, they, you know, they say they have a bunch of games in a box or a console or whatever. And he'll say, okay, we have this, you know, you have your Xbox. This is, I, I saw it one time, and it really just made me get a lot of respect for him. And, Guy brought in like an Xbox or something. I think it was Xbox 360. Sure. He, um, you know, he said, I like to trade this in with all these games and stuff. And he said, okay, I can give you this much store credit or I can give you this much cash. But then, and he's, he's the guy at the store and he says, you know, you could probably make a lot more money if you didn't sell this to me and sold it on the Trader Magazine or on the classified ads because I can only pay so much because I've got to run a business. He turned down. You know, he, he's, he's giving them the option. He's being totally transparent. He turned down the opportunity to sort of, yeah, I'll give you a couple bucks for this, take it, and resell it for a lot. And he's straight up with him and says, hey, you know, he's looking out for you. He yeah. says, go and sell this for yourself because you're going to get more money. I can only yeah. do this much. If you still, the guy eventually actually traded it in. But just the fact that Dan always brings that up, he always says, you'll get more money for this if you take it somewhere else. He's not in it to take your bucks sure. or grab your rare stuff that you don't know you have and flip it for a price. He's there to watch out for you and maximize your enjoyment. And that's, that's just really, i got so much respect for him for that. And, that, and that's, you know, having worked in retail myself, you know, is that, you know, I, I think that's the difference, that threshold there where, you know, me as a retail representative, you know, easily, you know, 80, 80 90% of the time would go, you know, listen, I realize you want this, but, you know, we got a much cheaper model that does the exact same thing. You know, I realize that they want me to sell you this, but really, you're better off getting this. Sure. And, and you know what? Having worked in the game retail setting as well, to have people come in and go, you know, listen, you're only going to get three or four bucks, you can really turn around and sell this game for a lot more. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think, I think your, I think a business's concept is different. Where if you have an investor that comes, gives you a million dollars to open up the store, and I want you to run exactly how I tell you to run. I think things are so much different when you. Like you came into this, you invested your own money, you invested your own time, you invested all this, and then at the end, you can go, you know, I genuinely enjoy doing that, and I enjoy my job, and I think the quality of 
customer service that you provide to other people is so much different when you build it for nothing. Sure. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of these big businesses have desaturated the, the market from that, and it's crushing these small mom and pop places. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that because in the film industry, the exact opposite is happening because of stuff like Netflix. The studios are putting out fewer and fewer films a year because they're not taking the risk. They're not trying to do anything like that. So you open the window and door for someone like me, an independent filmmaker, who has the availability and the, and the chance to get something on a world stage. So it's almost coming back around full, full circle a bit. You know, I gotta say, I mean, I asked basically everyone here what they thought about the film and how they came to it. It was really refreshing. And not one person really said, I just want to know if Jay gets all the games in the end of 30 days. <laughs> of course, I understand that's the hook and the lure and the bait to it all. Yeah. Just like, you know, when you watch Super Size Me, you hear a guy's gonna eat McDonald's for 30 straight days. <laughs> you want to know if he gets fat and small after. Yeah, you want to see, like, if you're gonna have McDonald's after, and everybody wanted to eat McDonald's after because it's a 90 minute McDonald's commercial. But it's refreshing that you guys, like, found the heart of it, like, right away, that it is about more than just the games, and it is about how he changes and the community that builds around them. So, thank you for that. And no, I won't tell you <laughs> if he got the games or not. Well, that's okay, because when we come to the screening... Sure, you'll we'll know. Well, yeah, yeah. No, no. I won't say it on a podcast, though, because you got to give reason for everybody to, oh, yeah. to come check it out and stuff Well, at least like let you know in person, off-air. Sure, yeah, off the record. Off the record. Is this thing off? <laughs> Well, hey, I, you know, we just want to thank you guys very, very much sure. for being part of this. We truly, truly appreciate you taking the time to be with us. Absolutely. For the opportunity. Thank you for setting the time. Thank you. thank you for, you know, reaching out to us. This is great. I mean, anytime you guys have other podcasts, you want to Skype me in on a conversation. Absolutely. All you got to do is reach out, and I have no problem doing it. And, you know, like we, like we said at the beginning, too, you know, anything you guys want to give us, anything at all to, to, to give to our viewers, Audio, video. Well, one thing I would love to give them is the link to our Facebook page. Go ahead. Absolutely. Plug so, as many times as you want. <laughs> for, for more information on the NES Club, visit us at Facebook at facebook.com slash the NES Club or follow us on Twitter at the NES Club. And if you're more inclined to use your browser, visit us at www.nesclubmovie.com. Remember, you can check out the latest and greatest and all their great content here at www.yourgamesource.com. And check our Facebook for some same great news, same great content at uh, www.facebook.com slash gamesource. Anybody else want to throw anything in there? Any other plugs? I think I can just say that uh, you can definitely count on all of us here at Gamesource for looking forward to your movie and being viewers. Thanks. Out. We can't wait. That's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> then we also kind of want to put Mason in there because yeah. I know you've got your own YouTube. You've got yeah. everything else. What? Yeah, no, that, that's fine. I have my own YouTube. I'm a sort of a bit player in the uh, in the film. Uh, I hope I make a cut. Uh, if you want to, I have a bunch of uh, I have some world record video game footage on Record Center. I have about twenty ish world records that are you know, certified and a bunch of other games. And Only twenty. Only twenty. To tell you the truth, I, I lost the count. Dude. I don't I don't remember how many. And some of them I broke, but I never submitted the footage and this and that. So if you want to see some gaming, you can check me out. My YouTube channel is Kramer Exists. Uh, the whole Mario World Max Out One Life Run is on there. Uh, the 200, I think it's 200,000 point Kool-Aid Man for Nintendo, or Nintendo, uh, Atari 2600 is on there. You can find me on Record Setter at Mason Kramer. You can see my Mario 3 run, the whole um, 5.9 million point run. But you're more than just video games. You're also a killer musician, and Mason's lending a lot of his tracks to the NES Club. Yeah, I, I, do, have, I do have music. I play some, uh, it's sort of a folk kind of thing. I don't like yeah. being... Pop, folk, punk, folk. In the granted. underground in folk. The under, it's, it's folk music. It's for, of the people, by the people, for the people. It's songs of our friends and our adventures. 
My project is called Cowabunga Breakfast. Uh, you can find it at uh, cowabungabreakfast.bandcamp.com if you want to listen to some songs. Sure. Uh, and you can also, if you actually, if you type in uh, Mason Kramer to um, to Google, uh, it wants to autocomplete with Mason Kramer video games. So you can actually just find me on Google, which is like so cool to me. I don't even know. <laughs> I'll give you guys. I brought some CDs. Actually, I'd like to give you guys both one. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I brought them specifically. (laughs) I know who makes those. A USB flash drive, maybe. (laughs) I I hand fold all the cases and draw the stuff on it. I love the DIY. That's that's where I come from. That's really all about it. And don't forget, you can also find all Mason stuff too at GameSource.com. And uh, remember, we are more than just gaming. But you can check us check us out at www.yourgamesource.com. The latest and greatest in all gaming news and multimedia. Yes, Thank you, gentlemen, so much. It's Cheers. an absolute pleasure. Thank you. And we will be having more content from you, gentlemen, soon. Okay. Thank you. We got a boomer! And that, loyal and smart customers, is how I saved all of mankind. Look who's evil now! Lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Hey, it's Gerald, better known as Yes Silva Slips, and we're back for the YourGamesForce.com coverage of the Level Up Expo 2014 here in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada at the Cashman Center. And it's time for Evil Dead the Musical, and I'm here with... Cirque Michaels, the director and producer of Evil Dead the Musical here in Las Vegas. We're at the V Theater inside Planet Hollywood at the heart of the Las Vegas Strip. We've been there since... June of 2012, and we're coming up on our second year. Uh, you know, we go to all these uh, conventions and uh, stuff all around the area, as well as a little bit outside of the area. Uh, have a lot of fun hanging out with fans and, you know, kicking ass, taking names. Our cast is here. They're wandering around, doing photos and harassing the vendors and the the people. We'll be doing a panel a little later, so, yeah, we're having fun. Have you toured as far as extensively with the no, no, we are a uh, a Las Vegas resident show on the Strip. And it's just staying in Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had a lot of success with the show here in town. Um, the show has played off-Broadway. It's also been in Toronto. We are the longest-running production of the show. We are the official real deal live stage show of the Sam Raimi cult classic film trilogy. Wow. And that's something I want to get into with you on that. I've also got Killer X Wolf and Angry Nick here as well. You talked about what inspires you as far as the music itself, as far as what the movie did for you. I mean, obviously, it's 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 come from that. Obviously, it emanates from that. So basically, uh, uh, what inspired you the most about uh, and you know inspired you to get to creating the musical? Okay, well, to be fair, I did not create uh, the musical. To, to, to be a uh, part of the musical. Right, okay. Um, I, so... The musical was originally created by George Reinblatt and Christopher Bond and some other guys up in Toronto. Um, And they did the show a few years ago. Um, I knew of it, produced it in Texas to some success. It was cool. Came out to Vegas, um, was working for a theater. They were going to be doing the show, so I produced the show, ended up directing it. My background as a producer and director, I cut my teeth um, doing the Rocky Horror Show. Now, not the picture show. That's the movie where people pretend to perform in front of it. I'm talking about the live stage show that the movie is based on. And it's interactive. People yell stuff throughout the entire show. Um, and I produced that show around the country for about uh, the better part of two decades. 
So that was sort of my background, was sort of doing shows for people who don't like shows, and very interactive, very loud, raucous, um, used to people being drunk and yelling shit at the stage. That was what I brought to this production. Uh, what we did was we took the script as it, as it currently exists and threw out all the rules. So when people come in, they're basically entering a party. We put them into the show with the performers. Performers are basically talking directly to them. The audience is encouraged to yell stuff at them. Uh, for me, it was all about having fun with this sort of cult classic story. Um, and the music's a lot of fun. Uh, Maxim Magazine called it the musical you'll actually want to see. Uh, you know, so it, it's sort of, it's a musical for people who don't give a about musicals and uh, so it, it appeals like to you know uh, uh, gamers and yeah, it's it's got that vibe you know where, where people who uh, you know don't get out of their mother's basement much this is the kind of show this is not Shakespeare this isn't men in tights dancing around on stage spouting you're not going to understand this is a guy with a chainsaw for a hand slaying the undead where we spray 20 gallons of fresh warm blood over our audience every single night um, while they sing and dance and have a kick-ass time. For me, it was sort of um, taking sort of the Rocky Horror vibe and reinventing it for the next generation. Uh, Rocky Horror sort of played out. That worked maybe a decade ago. But it's not really relatable much anymore. I mean, it's still a fun show, but the themes in it, while they're sort of universal, they don't have the same sort of vibe that they once did. Whereas this show is very much of today. You know, um, people go to it, uh, you know, there's the undead zombies, deadites, as they're called in the show. It's very relatable to what's sort of hot and popular, and so people get into it. It's very, it's very accessible. Whereas uh, dudes in fishnets and garters might not be kind of the kind of the thing right now. We have hot chicks and zombies. That yeah, dude, I mean, you know, a combination to have exactly. You know, and the hero he has a chainsaw for a hand. I mean, you can't beat it. You know, and he's got this badass shotgun that's called his boomstick that he runs around and just blows freaking zombies heads off with during the show it's it's incredible it's, it's a, the way we want every video game and every movie to be now that's right and yet it's in a musical sense where you're like a musical but you kind of want to see what it's going to be all about and it interacts with the, the people so i can see yes. where that's an amazing thing because not many shows rocky horror was one of the only ones i could think of that did that as a constant thing yeah and yeah so i mean i can imagine just what you've told me i already know what this thing is going to be about and it sounds amazing <laughs> well we have uh we've been on the strip almost two years um we the thing about our show uh that's kind of special is we have a really strong fan base so actually if you ask uh, a lot of the people here at this convention I would say probably 50% have seen the show, and probably 50% of them have seen it more than once. So people go to the show over and over and over again, which is very much like Rocky Horror. So they'll go over and over, and they'll start learning the lines. They'll start learning where they can yell crap. Uh, and it has its own sort of natural thing, whereas other shows on the Strip, uh, people might go once or twice. They're not going to go over and over. We have people who have seen the show 20, 30, 40 times. So they are real diehard regulars. Absolutely. Um, and for our show, one of the things for us is 
we want to reach out to people who don't like musicals because uh, we know for a fact that this is exactly the kind of thing that will sort of turn people's heads about what a show can be a live show um, and so our ticket prices are better than just about any damn uh, show on the strip I mean our highest ticket price at full price right now is like 70 bucks you can't get into any other shows on the strip for probably less than 80 so we're the Marvel tournament is starting in the console section Marvel is starting yeah, yeah, I love those plugins for yeah, those yeah. <laughs> For those of you who couldn't hear, the Marvel tournament is starting shortly. <laughs> we are attempting to price it so that it doesn't scare off people, right? Because if you're trying to reach someone who doesn't give a shit about musicals, you can't then price it so high that they're going to be like, well, you know, dude, I can go and get a badass video game that I've been waiting for for the same price. You know what I mean? So we're, we're, we're competing a little bit with that. Um, and also, uh, we have, like, we are so hot on social media. So, if people go to our Facebook page, which is Evil Dead Vegas, um, we have like 30,000 fans on there. And we're really interactive on there. So, we post a lot of um, coupons, crap like that on there, ways to get tickets for free or cheap. Or, we're really into it with our fans. The general public, this is a tourist town. We have people who come all the way from Australia, England, specifically to see our show. So we don't mind raping the tourists because the only way they're going to be able to see the show usually is to pay full price. But for our fans, we want to try to give them a way to come and catch it uh, because they're coming so often where they can get it for a little bit cheaper. So that, you know, so we keep all that crap in mind. Almost well, thinking you know. like you buy your first ticket, second ticket half off, next ticket half off. And, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. in so, my mind, I want people to come over and over again. It's not about getting that one ticket. It's about getting people in there a hundred times. Every you other know? weekend, coming back in. And right, right. Now, do you have any premium seating that offers any more? Dude, I didn't know if you had an on. Oh no, it's it's good, but it won't pick up your voice. Yeah, yeah, you gotta project there. Do you do you have any um, any premium seating that if, if uh, fans go and if, if they you know if they pay the premium ticket price that they get anything extra? By yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, premium seating. The way it works is there's three levels of seating. Okay, so we have the general admission, which is you know the cheap seats, right? And that's the shit we give away for ten bucks more. It's VIP. And that's sort of the central seating area. Great seats, um, but you don't get any blood on you or anything like that. Then there's what, it's the VIP splatter zone. Um, it's limited to 50 seats. It's right at the stage. Um, and 50 seats might sound like a lot of people, but our showroom holds about 400. So, you know, it's, it's a very, it's a large area of space but the seats are right up against the stage. There's 50 of them right up against the stage, and the actors uh, actually sort of interact with those people. They also all get a T-shirt. Uh, they have uh, they're like a commemorative T-shirt. They have a big target on them. They say "Evil Dead the Musical Splatter Zone," <laughs> and those are the guys who get all the blood on them throughout the show. Um, and those are twenty dollars more than general admission. So basically, the, the seating is 50, 60, 70. Um, so basically, if you get uh, like, a, so when we do these events like we're here today, uh, we'll give out tickets, right? So we'll give tickets uh, because we want people to come and catch it. Uh, so depending on what's going on, um, 
you know, we'll get people in the door. And what they can do then is they can upgrade for a nominal fee. You could go from the seats for 20 bucks more. You're sitting in the best seats in the house. Just to put it into perspective for people who have not been to Vegas, normally to make a leap from the crap seats to the best seats is anywhere from 50 to to $100. Sometimes a thousand dollars and that's not an exaggeration that is for the, the truth for the exactly shows yeah um and for our show at the end of the night uh what we do is uh, ash and some of the gang they actually go out in the lobby and they will take photos with oh now we got another announcement oh yeah, so uh, Charlie Brown's teacher was just telling us that that was the uh, last call for their <laughs> raffle. Uh, yeah, so anyway, um, Ash and some of the gang will go out at the end of the show, and they'll take pictures that we post to Facebook, and they'll sign stuff. So it's not only about putting up a great show, it's actually a complete experience. We call it the ultimate 4D experience. It's actually the sort of the subtitle for our show. So it's not just about give us your money, sit, watch a show, and leave. It is a full-length show. We have an intermission. Uh, it's very interactive. And then at the end, Ash actually goes out. You get photos with them. And so it's a complete experience. And you don't have to like Evil Dead. Uh you, you don't even have to like horror shows. It's a comedy. So it's a comedy first based on horror films. So it sort of takes all these iconic images and, and memes in today's language and uh, throws them up on stage. So it's really accessible to just about anyone. If you like to have a good time, that's really what it's about. Um, and we get people in there who don't... They're dragged in by their friends, so they don't know what the hell Evil Dead is. They don't even know they're sitting in the splatter zone. All they know is they've got a, you know, a T-shirt. Ooh, I got a T-shirt! And by the end, they're covered in blood from head to toe. And they're yelling and screaming, having a great time with everyone else. But when they came in, they didn't know what the hell it was. Because it's a big party. Um, and it's unlike anything else in Las Vegas, but I would say anywhere else. People say it's a combination of Rocky Horror, Guar, and Scooby-Doo. If you shoot them in a blender, mix them up, throw them up on stage, that's kind of the vibe of our show. Using Evil Dead, of course, all the storylines and all the iconic uh, dialogue and everything that uh, anyone who's a fan of Evil Dead, you come to see this thing. I mean, you're basically seeing it live. We are endorsed by Bruce Campbell, embraced by Sam Raimi. We are the real deal live stage show of the film. So, And that's something I wanted to ask you because yeah. you're so identified with the film and the film yeah. series. Uh, have they come and seen your performance? No, they they went when uh, it was off Broadway. Uh, we've we've been negotiating to, to get one, dude. All right, yeah, tournament side area. Apparently, these guys are going to be talking the whole time. <laughs> All right, um, we've been trying to work out to get Bruce out here. Uh, so, you know, people ask, hey, is Sam Raimi seen as Bruce Campbell seen as this guy, that guy? To be perfectly frank. Nothing against Sam Raimi, of course, but the fans, they could give a less about Sam Raimi. They want Bruce Campbell there, right? I mean, if, if people want to see someone, they want to see Bruce Campbell. So for us, um, not that I'm trying to insult Sam Raimi, but I'm always thinking of the fans first. And so they're going to want to meet Bruce Campbell. So we're trying to figure out a way to get him here at a time that works in his schedule 
where we can make that happen on our end as well. It's just a matter of scheduling. So that's uh, a large part of what we, But when people go, like, we've seen it, hey, uh, is, they should make a musical of your show. I remember this. And Bruce Campbell was like, uh, where the f*** have you been? And tweeted our f-. It was like, here it is, dumbasses. If you go to the Bruce Campbell's website, we're, boom, you know, a, a big banner on the site, you know, leading them to here. Because while the show, um, little community theaters and stuff put it up all around the country, we are the only professional resident production of the show. So if you want to see it, Vegas is the place to catch it. And we don't put it on the road because our show really works in Vegas. When people come here, they're looking to have a good, crazy-ass time. So they'll come here. If we take it on the road, we go to Des Moines. I don't know if what we do, it, it, it might not, work, it play as well. but yeah, and it's a limited audience there, you know, whereas here, those people are coming here, they're coming for that kind of vibe, and it works for bachelor parties, I mean, there's this great thing we do at intermission where we call it being carried, where we'll, we'll like, you know, we'll have, uh, we'll pick someone from the audience, we'll, we'll bring them up, we'll do a photo for Facebook, and we basically pour a bucket of blood over their heads at intermission. Well, what'll happen is we'll get, like, an email. Hey, I'm bringing my best friend. He's getting married. It's our bachelor party for him. Can you guys take care of him? And we'll be like, yeah, sure. He doesn't know what the hell's going on. We're like, hey, come on over. You're going to get a photo from Facebook. You're celebrating your bachelor party. And everyone poses, and then from behind Three, him comes two, the... One, exactly, two. and there comes a big bucket of blood over his head. People do it to their mother-in-laws, their <laughs> bosses... They're the bachelor, the bachelorette, the bride and groom. We've had wedding parties. We've had a wedding at our show. So, like, we've had all sorts okay, of crazy. Last call. Last call. Anybody want to purchase any more tickets? If this is the last call, we're about to start the, start the here. I don't think anyone wants to come down to the network. Uh, we want to thank Level Up also for, for helping support some of these great rap models that we have here back. The bars are just crazy. Wow. I imagine all this is going to be ended. In case they keep that, there uh, that was the last call for the raffle. So if you guys didn't get your tickets yet, uh, you're really because this is not playing live. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, so that's kind of covers the vibe of the show. Uh, gives you kind of a taste of it. Um, I mean, dude, I've been doing this. We actually opened in October of 2011. We opened on the Strip in June of 2012. So we've been doing the show for over two years, and I am still as excited about this thing as the very first day we did our first performance of it. Because the fans, it's all like we, it's so uh, driven by the energy we get off of the people who come to this thing. There's absolutely no way not to love what we do. Because we do events, we do Walking Dead viewing parties for every new episode. We host them. So um, here in Vegas, of course. So if you're not from here, sorry, but uh, there's come down a, here to see it. That's but all, yeah, there's a, there's actually a zombie themed bar here in town called I've The seen, End. Yeah, and it's badass. And so we we do the viewing parties there. And we have all these sort of zombie and Walking Dead merchants, and they bring out all this exclusive People can buy stuff. It's like a mini zombie con every Sunday night. It's awesome. And then we watch the new episode. We ask trivia. We give away. So it's not just about us doing the show. It's about us sort of celebrating all these badass things 
all the time. So it's sort of morphed into more than just us performing. I feel a responsibility that's larger than that. Um, and I think that's why our fans sort of um, come back again and again. So, yeah, man, anyone who wants to come, you know, EvilDeadVegas.com is our website. Our Facebook page is Evil Dead Vegas. Hey, our Twitter handle, Twitter handle is Evil Dead Vegas, right? It's hard, yeah. So there you go. Or if you Google Evil Dead Las Vegas, our is going to come up. Honestly, the whole environment here is just the best part about it. Uh, not to diss on any individual person or, or group here, because they're all amazing. Every single one, uh, very passionate about what they're doing, whether it's video game related, anime related, comic book related, so forth. They're all very good. But to be here and to like all of that stuff at one time in one place, the entire environment just keeps everyone lively and happy here. So. The whole thing is just completely the best part of it. Oh, absolutely. It's just been a great experience. Uh, before we let anyone, everyone go, just want to make sure, check us out again, www.yourgamesource.com. Okay, I'm going to start the five o'clock raffle. I'm going to start the five o'clock raffle. The first item we have left is from Shark Robots. Again, we have uh, some goodie stuff here in the back. Uh, candy, little joystick candy, objects, little Chosky, a lot of Chosky stuff. Yeah, that's what we should. Okay, so we've got a lot of stuff here in the back. A little bit of that for Sean Can we uh, can I get a ticket, please? Hey, and thank you everyone for joining us and being part of the Level Up Expo 2014. If you have any questions, please don't hesitate. We're at yourgamesource at yahoo.com if you send us an email or a question. Um, via email, excuse me. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, yourgamesource.com. But I really want to ask you before we go, and I shout out and I spew all that chilling stuff that I normally do. Tell me, is there a CNC podcast in the near future? I can definitely see there being another CNC podcast. As you've heard, we've kind of revived, we've grown from the grave uh, yet again to actually do some more stuff. 
Um, and it was received quite well, I might add. Yes. Uh, so now we're actually getting some more uh, time and some more publicity into it and some more requests for it that we're actually going to start doing this more regularly. Hopefully, at least... Um, Within the near future, we should have, like a very near future, we'll have a couple more things up. So see it, keep an eye out on our uh, our website, yourgamesource.com. Also, it's in the podcast section. Yeah, in the podcast, or if you have the mobile app, it's under there as well. Yes, um, just click on Chris's face. My face, Killer X Wolf's face, and I'm chomping down Marcus uh, with a chainsaw, or with a lancer, I should say. Um, but definitely go and take a look at that, and then see, uh, see me and Corey revive ourselves from uh, from our hibernation. There you go. I know you got something planned in the future with EA, is that correct? Yeah, we have like a, a little bit of a early access thing to, to try for, for customers and for clients and for everyone out there uh, to explain on the new Titanfall for Xbox One, Xbox 360, and PC game. So we're going to actually uh, play it, try it out, and I, unfortunately I... I by legal obligation, I can't videotape it, but I can tell you a lot about the game like I'm supposed to. Um, but I will get everything out there so that way everyone knows exactly what it's about. But uh, Chris and Corey from CNC should have a uh, pretty good um, podcast coming up after that. On the mother podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, that's yourgamesource.com. Uh, my page is the yesselvislives.html. Don't forget, we have the GameSource Plus One all throughout the week. We have great GameSource podcasts every month. We've got videos up on your YouTube page, yourgamesource.com, the entire thing. And for all your entertainment, all your video game news, information, and also entertainment. That's when I should know the entertainment. Just follow us, yourgamesource.com. Oh, Twitter, at GameSource, and Facebook, GameSource. Chris, any words on uh, that? That's completely just, if you can say your game source, uh, you probably found us anywhere on the social networks. Uh, there you go. So. <laughs> we appreciate again you listening, and have yourselves a great day. Good night, world. <laughs>